man. And nothing like starting the morning with a bunch of little babies on the screen, right? Day's been a win already. Hey, I want to start off our time together by reading several passages from both the Old and the New Testament that that all have a a common theme. And and remember that the words we're about to read are true. Uh, They're God-breathed. They are they are living and they are active. They, they, are, they are sharper than a double-edged sword. They, they will accomplish the purpose for which God sends them today. And think about it. They just might be the words, uh, I'm about to read. This is God's word. It's living and active. It's like the real deal. Uh, they, they just might be the words that God brought you here this morning to speak into your life, to breathe into your life. So is anybody ready for... Uh, uh, some creator God words to be breathed into them right now. You ready? Check this out. This is all true. Common theme. When the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and put their trust in him. Psalmist writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and the one who saves me. I fear no one. The Lord protects my life. I am afraid of no one. If an army surrounds me, I will not be afraid. If war breaks out, I will trust the Lord. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated but will endure forever Just as the mountains surround and protect Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds and protects his people both now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, That's okay. You can clap on that. Was there a clap out there maybe? That's some good. uh, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 28, 16, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I I lay a stone in Zion, a a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. And Hebrews 10, 23, without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let's pray. And let's pray palms open. We do that around here, and I'm not telling you you have to pray that way necessarily, right? And it's just symbolic to say, God, you know, my palms are open, my heart is open, my mind is open, my spirit is open to receive from you today. Heavenly Father, will we come into your, uh, to your presence, and, and God, there's no one like you, no one compares to you, and, and God, as I just thought about praying to you right now, and and that that song is in my head, nothing is better than watching you smile, and God, I think you feel that way about us. Uh, God, you love to watch us, your children, smile. You long for us, your children, to trust in you, and and God, I just pray that no matter where we are right now in our journey with you, no matter what we're facing, no matter what is coming against us, God, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would believe that, uh, that your word is true, that your word is powerful, and God, that you're here in this place. And God, I, I pray that this morning that, that you find open hearts and open minds. God, I, I, I pray that, that you find fertile soil. Uh, God, speak to us. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 
this morning as we continue in, in our message series, Never the Same, we're going to, it's a series where we're, we're, we're taking an in-depth look at some of the encounters that Jesus had when he, when he wore flesh and he, and he walked on this planet. And today we're, we're going to meet a man whose life was a paradox. And now paradox is simply a statement, an idea, or a life that appears to be contradictory. And l- let me give you a few examples of paradoxes, some of my favorites, all right? Um, bittersweet, recent history. Yeah, they contradict. Small crowd, jumbo shrimp, instant classic, <laughs> liquid gas, found missing, practice test, same difference, act naturally, <laughs> reality TV, country music. <laughs> no, I know. And around here with DIA, I could say military intelligence, right? And I, I They'll be looking for me later on this week. Where did he go, right? Government worker. Anarchy rules, right? I mean, yeah, we're going to meet a guy today whose who, who, life was a paradox. I, I mean, on one hand, he seems to have it all. He's rich. He wears Italian shoes and tailored suits. He, he drives the newest and best cars. His money is invested. His plastic is platinum. And he lives like he flies, first class all the way. He has a beach house in the Mediterranean Sea. He has a lake house around the Sea of Galilee, and he has a penthouse apartment right in the middle of Jerusalem. He's young. His belly is flat. His eyes are sharp. His pockets are full. His bank account is overflowing. He is the rich, young ruler. He seems to know it all. If you don't think so, just ask him. You've got questions. He's got answers. You've got problems. He's got solutions. You've got dilemmas, he has options. His calendar is full. His company's expanding. His iPhone is always ready. This guy knows uh, where he's going, and he's pretty sure he'll get there by tomorrow. And he also seems to have achieved it all. I mean, this guy already has what everyone only dreams of, power, possession, position, popularity, and all the pleasures that his vast wealth has or can buy him. He's been on the cover of People magazine, GQ magazine, Fortune magazine, Money magazine, more times than he can count. Three times he was Time magazine's man of the year. And if that wasn't enough, when it comes to legalistic righteousness, like Paul, he was faultless. Yet despite having it all, knowing it all, and achieving it all, his life was a paradox. You see, one day, this 2,000 years ago, this rich young ruler ask a poor homeless carpenter from Nazareth a very unexpected question, especially coming from him. What do I still lack? Question, has anybody out there ever heard of the story of the rich young ruler? Raise your hand. You ever heard that story? And I'm not surprised, right? I mean, three of the four gospel writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to to put this encounter on paper. And uh, like I've already shared in the series that you know, Jesus had countless encounters with people, and, you know, the ones that are in our Bible must be there for a reason, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit said, hey, you got to write this down, because there's something that everyone can learn from these encounters that Jesus had with these particular people. But even if you've, you have heard the story before, I encourage you this morning, September 21st, 2014, to hear it again, as if for the first time. Uh, yes, this morning, I encourage you to come with 
open minds and humble hearts so that God can speak truth into your life. And, and listen, anytime that God's truth is breathed into our life, we become more fully alive and we are never the same. Amen? Now this encounter between Jesus and a rich young ruler takes place during the final weeks of Jesus' life. You see, Jesus, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, and there is a, a rugged cross of wood waiting for him. Just a few days earlier, Jesus had crossed over the Jordan River and arrived in Judea. And as always, crowds of sick people, seeking people, and hurting people were eager to hear Jesus speak and to experience the power of his healing touch. And we read beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was angry. He was ticked off. That word indignant is the very same word used to describe Jesus' anger when he overturned the tables in the temple. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now let's hit the pause button for a minute. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? I mean, what qualities do children have that are essential for entering the kingdom? Well, I can think of a few. Children, and, when, and as I, I, I say them, ask yourself if you possess these qualities. Children are eager to learn, excited to grow, quick to forgive, hungry to love and to be loved, they can find joy in the simplest of things, right? Give them a, you know, a little five-cent lollipop and watch how their whole world changes instantly, right? Wow, just a lollipop. Man, if I could get excited, I do like lollipops, though. They really are, especially the ones with gum. I like blow pops the best. Little children love to dream and imagine. They love to please and make other people happy. Little children, they're teachable and they're trusting. And last but not least, Children come empty-handed to the table. I understand, in that day and culture, children were pretty far down on the food chain. Unlike the day, they didn't, children did not even come close to ruling the roost. They had no power. They had no clout. They had no standing in society. Steve Otterburn says in his book, More Jesus, Less Religion, what can a little child do except run into the open arms of God? What can a little boy or girl do but accept God's grace, love, strength, and help with an open heart? Nothing more than that. And praise God, there's nothing more that God requires. And he took the children in his arms. Just picture that. Put his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and understand that, that that word translated eternal there is not just quantity as in forever. It's also quality as in full. Well, what can I do to inherit a full life? Now, now, why did this rich young ruler, whose life was hidden on all four cylinders, power, position, pleasure, and possessions, why did he run up to Jesus and fall on his knees before him? And let's not allow ourselves just to quickly blow by this scene. I mean, try in your mind, try, try to picture a, you know, try to picture 
you know, Bill Gates or Barack Obama or Donald Trump falling on their knees before a homeless guy and asking him for some advice about software, running a country, or buying real estate. I mean, just imagine a homeless guy right now, boom, fall, you know, Barack Obama falls before his feet, you know, you know Bill Gates, Donald Trump. That, that's a pretty powerful scene. And so is this picture of this guy who had it all kneeling before Jesus. And in fact, I, I don't know of any other, any other ruler ever falling on their knees before Jesus. And keep in mind, Jesus was not that popular that day among the rulers. Uh, so this was especially risky because, you know, if the paparazzi got a picture of it and made it the lead story on JMZ, right? You ever heard of TMZ? This is JMZ. Anybody know what TMZ means? 30-mile zone. It, the term originated in 19... I, had, I Googled it, right? You know, information everywhere, right? But it originated in 1960 to describe the 30-mile radius around Hollywood. Like, hey, here's where the most important stuff happens. Well, they didn't have the, DMZ, the, the TMZ. They had the JMZ, the, the, the Jerusalem mile zone. Uh, but despite the risk, this guy in full view of everyone he runs up to Jesus, and, and, and he falls on his feet before Jesus. And, and now we, we know that he did it, right? But, but why did he do it? Why did he do it? You see, I, I'm convinced that this guy, this rich young ruler, had been watching and listening to Jesus as he taught and moved among the multitudes. I, I mean, he had seen Jesus do some, some pretty powerful miracles, and, and he was there when when Jesus said, let, let the little children, let those who have no clout, no value, no standing, let, let those who, who can uh, do nothing to advance or improve my position, let those children come to me. And the rich young ruler, he, he saw how Jesus talked with the children. He, he, he saw how the eyes of the children just lit up and came alive in his presence. You see, I'm convinced that as this rich young ruler watched Jesus, that, that he saw a man who had nothing yet seemed to have everything. He, he saw a man who, who, who didn't care what, what people thought of him. They, he saw a man who, who wasn't pressured by the crowds, who, who did not perform or pretend or cater to the whims of the multitudes. When he saw Jesus, he, he saw a man who, 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 who seemed to have the, the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that always seemed to elude him. He saw a man that was, he was confident who he was, comfortable in his own skin. He saw a man who, though surrounded by a huge crowd, was completely at ease, able to deal with any situation that came along. Yes, as a rich young ruler watched and listened from the edge of the crowd, he saw something different and very appealing about this man called Jesus. And as this rich young ruler heard Jesus speak, his heart raced. I, I, I mean, uh, the words of Jesus make more sense to him than any words he ever heard in a business meeting, in a, at the club, in a boardroom, in a marketplace. Each word, each phrase, each teaching that flowed from the lips of Jesus was full of life and power and hope. I mean, imagine what it was like to, to hear the author of life fill the air with his truth. I mean, imagine what it would have been like to, to hear the word become flesh, speak with your 
very own ears. Yeah, I'm convinced that as this rich young ruler looked at Jesus, he had never seen anybody more alive. I mean, for years, this guy had been struggling, fighting, achieving, climbing, and winning. Yet despite all he had, all he knew, all he accomplished, something was missing, and he knew it. And, and though he was never able to put it into words, he knew that this man Jesus had it. He knew that this man Jesus had what he wanted, had what he had hungered and thirst for. And so he watched, and he waited. You see, he was unsure of what to do, of how to approach Jesus, of what to say, of how to begin the conversation. But as Jesus began to say his goodbyes and start to head down the road, this guy runs. Because he knows, I may never be this close to Jesus again. And he falls before the one who has the very thing that he was looking for. But teacher, he asked, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. In other words, good teacher, what must I do to have what you have? What must I do to fill this emptiness in my life that none of my achievements, that none of my possessions, that none of my promotions, that none of my experiences have come even close to touching? What must I do to have an eternal kind of life? to have the life that you have. And I love where Jesus begins his answer. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, well done. A plus. You got it right. I am good. Capital G. And since only God is good, then I am I'm God. And therefore, not only can I can, but I will answer that question for you. So I hope you're ready because I'm about, what I'm about to say is the final word on the eternal kind of life. You know the commandments? The guy's looking up at him. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. That's lying. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Not, not for one thing that uh, when this rich young ruler hears Jesus say that, he's a little disappointed. I think he's thinking, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. I I've been doing all that stuff since I was a boy. And it's not working. God still feels distant. He still doesn't feel close. Something is still not right. There has to be more than that. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Have you ever asked or felt like asking Jesus the same thing? Jesus, I've been doing this Christian thing for years. I go to church every week. I drop my 10% of the plate even when money is tight. I serve where I can. I read the word several times a week. I help. I help when needed. I sing in the praise band. I pray. I, 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 I preach sermons. I, I keep the nursery. I, I buy books and tapes. I, I go to conferences and seminars. But it doesn't seem to really be working. I still don't have this abundant, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy life that is promised in the New Testament. God still doesn't seem to be all that close. Something's still not right. What's missing? What do I lack? There has to be more to the Christian life than this. 
You ever been there? Ever done that? I have. Um, more times than I, I care to admit. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. So everything you have and give to the poor, and you have treasures in heaven, then come follow me. At this, at this the man's face fell. And he went away very sad. Uh, the Greek literally says, he went away surrounded by grief. Why? Because he had great wealth. Man, I hate when movies end this way. <laughs> what a bummer. I mean, call me a dreamer or idealist, but I, I like to see the good guy get the girl. I, I, I like to see the underdogs win the championship, the, the disease cured, the marriage recovered, the battle won. And, and I want to see the, the bad guy either change or die, right? If Commodus doesn't change, I want Maximus to kill him in the Roman Coliseum. That's what I want, right? That's how I want the story to end. I mean, think about it. This guy, this guy finally finds the answer he's been looking for. He finally discovers what was missing in his life, the thing he still lacked, and he walked away from it. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away surrounded by grief. And you know what, I, I, I picture Jesus at this moment reaching down and, and helping the guy back up. Remember, he had fallen at Jesus' feet. And then Jesus looking him straight in the eyes, not saying a word, and then watching him walk away. And you know what, I, I think as Jesus watched him walk away, his face fell too. Maple Grove. All throughout human history, God our Father has held out his hands, has opened up his arms, and said, I have, I am what you are looking for. That joy, that peace, that contentment, that meaning, that acceptance, that hope, that confidence, that satisfaction and significance you keep chasing after and never actually reaching, they are all found in me, and I want you to have them. I mean, could you imagine having your ch children starve before you, sit at a dinner table with you, and you got all this food, and you just won't eat it? <laughs> Please. It's here. I prepared it. I cooked it. It's your favorite. It, it, it's just the nutrition that you need, and they won't eat it. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words. Now, the word translated amazed literally means they were violently stricken in the mind. In other words, they were floored. They were blown away, confused. They were shocked. They were totally freaking out. They were thrown into a mental panic, kind of like when all your money is gone and an unexpected bill shows up. And listen, the reason they were violently stricken in the mind is because they'd always been taught that wealth was a sign of God's blessings. And if this rich guy couldn't get into the kingdom, then what chance did poor blue-collar fishermen like them have? But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's a crazy picture, right? Camel, eye of the needle. I always say the only way you can do that is if you put a camel in a blender first and then you can pour them through the needle, right? 
As you picture that, I'll get a drink of water. It's a big blender. <laughs> Disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are what? All things are what? You're going through a hard time, difficult time, right? All things are what? And Peter said to him, Peter is always watching, right? And this encounter with the rich young ruler, it got his attention, it got him thinking, and he's starting to see what Jesus is saying, and he's thinking, okay, Jesus, so I think what you're saying is that this, this kingdom is entered by reckless abandon, by total commitment and radical trust, by leaving all to follow you. Hey, we've done that. And then Peter speaks his thoughts out loud. We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one has ever left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. That's 10,000% that's interest, right? If someone guaranteed you, say, if you invest with me, I can guarantee you 10,000% return. Would you, would, you, would you go for it? Guess what? Someone has, right? Someone has. You say, hey, you invest with me, your return will be 10,000% in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. They're on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And again, uh, G- Jesus is leading the way to Jerusalem. He's leading the way to the cross, and the disciples were astonished. I mean, Jesus always kept their head spinning like he keeps our head spinning. While those who follow were afraid, they're afraid we're following Jesus. We also know uh, that the opposition to him is really starting to heat up. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them uh, what was going to happen to him. Uh, We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will contend him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. question, why did the Holy Spirit inspire three writers to put this encounter with Jesus on paper? What's the point? What, if anything, is Jesus trying to teach us? What does God want us to take home from this 2,000-year-old encounter? What does he want me to take home? What does he want you to take home? I mean, is Jesus' point that wealth and riches are bad and that we must sell everything we have and give to the poor? Is that the one thing that we lack? Is selling all we have and giving to the poor, is that a prerequisite for following Jesus? No, it's not. As far as I know, Jesus never asked anyone else to do this. Mark Moore, in his study on the life of Christ, writes, the primary issue here is not benevolence to the poor, as important as that is, but allegiance to Jesus. His money is standing in the way. Jesus asked him to get rid of it. Question, is anything standing in your way of following Jesus? I understand, to limit the one thing lacking simply to wealth and materialism is to miss the point that Jesus is making here. It is to remain on the surface and fail to plunge the deeper meaning. Yes, wealth, money, and things were a major issue and stumbling block for this guy like they are for so many others. And for him to picture his life without them, well, he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't let go. 
So his face fell and he walked away. But understand, his inability to let go was merely a symptom of a much deeper and more prevalent issue. And what was that deeper issue? Why couldn't he let go? It was his inability, or rather his refusal, to trust God. You see, he trusted in his wealth for life. He, he trusted in chariots and horses and 401Ks and investments more than he trusted in his, in his God. And you know, the longer I study and reflect on this encounter that Jesus had 2,000 years ago with a rich young ruler, the more I became convinced that there's something that most of us have in common with this guy, with the rich young ruler, even if we are old and poor. <laughs> Uh, something that goes much deeper than the fact that we who live in America are caught up in the grip of materialism and are extremely wealthy when compared to the rest of the world. And we are. I mean, if you make more than $37,000 a year, you, you, you are wealthier than 97% of the world. The average American spends $2,600 eating out. That's four times the average wage of people in the world. Uh, but again, there's a much deeper issue than simply the issue of riches and wealth that grip us in the good old U.S. of A. Like it gripped the rich young ruler. And the deeper issue is that we do not trust God. And understand, we either do or we don't. I either do or I don't, right? You're either pregnant or you're not. You're not like, well, I think I'm 75% pregnant. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know the words in God we trust it's on our money, talk about irony. And that the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, has been in our hymn book since 1882. But the truth is that many of God's people, including me, more times than I care to admit, have a serious trust issue when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it might be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. We have trust issues. Question, why don't we get out of the boat and walk on water? Why don't we step into the valley and face our giants? Why don't we say what he wants us to say, do what he wants us to do, go where he wants us to go? Why don't people end relationships that they know are bad for them? Why do we worry and fret over the needs of this earthly life? Why do we choose, and we, me as well, why do we choose safety and comfort over risk and adventure? Why don't we give to the church like we should? Why don't we do what we know is the right thing to do? Because we don't really trust God. I understand, like the rich young ruler, our lives many times are full of paradoxes, Right? Uh, we say that God is a rock, yet we continue to build our lives on sand. We say that our, our greatest hope is in heaven, but we're so fixated on the here and now, what we can see. We say that all things are possible with God, but that he can do anything, yet we refuse to think that he could change us or someone else into a, a new person. Uh, we say that his kingdom and his work are the most important thing to us, but our checkbook and calendars tell a different story. We sing songs of God's grace and power and provision and still worry about how to make ends meet and fear the unknown. 
Does anybody else out there ever struggle at times with the issue of trust? Now, I don't think it's an accident that this encounter with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 is surrounded by three great examples of trust. Uh, three great examples of, of people who, who did not walk away from Jesus with their face fallen. Uh, the first example we've already kind of talked about. You know, right before this guy runs up to Jesus, what do we find Jesus do? We find him loving on a bunch of children. And saying that if we want to enter the kingdom, we have to receive it as little children. I don't know about you, but I, I long to trust my Heavenly Father the way my kids trust me. Uh, my, my children, I'm sure yours as well, uh, they, they trust me to feed them, to clothe them, to give them a place to live, to care for them when they're sick. I mean, they never worry about bills being paid, having food on the table. Is there going to be clean water when I turn on the spigot? Am I going to have a place to lay my head? Why? Because they trust me to take care of them, even though I'm far from all-knowing and all-powerful. Maple Grove, act like a child, trust God, enjoy life. And the cool thing is, God wants us to have that kind of trust. In John 14, Jesus is he's heading to the garden. He's about to be arrested. His guys are really like, wow, I'm, I'm really not too excited about what's happening here. <laughs> I'm freaking out. We're a little bit troubled. And what does he say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. See, see, God wants us to trust him. Just like we want our children to trust us. Trust me. I'll take care of you. Trust me. I'll be there for you. The second example of trust in Mark 10 is, is Peter and the other disciples. I mean, Peter looks at Jesus with hope in his eyes. He says, we have left everything to follow you. I understand it's been nearly three years since these guys literally left everything to follow Jesus. What a powerful example of trust. What an incredible investment of their lives. No wonder Jesus gave them a return of 10,000%. But as powerful as that example is, to me the most powerful example of trust in Mark 10 is the trust that Jesus displayed in the Father by going to Jerusalem, knowing there was a cross there. I mean, Jesus had complete trust in his Father's plan, agenda, love, and promises and purposes. We're, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. I will rise. One lack of trust, trust, one lack of trust pictures surrounded by three trustful pictures. Now, he, he, I want to make a few summary statements, and 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 as we determine whether or not we want to take this home. Number one, the one thing that many of us lack in our walk with God is what is trust. Again, the way, and we definitely includes me, the way we worry and fret and fear the unknown at times makes you wonder. It definitely makes the robin and sparrow wonder. Is there really a Father in heaven that's all-powerful, that's taking care of us? You know, on, on, on a scale of, you know, one to ten, I put it in your notes, you know, you know um, with, with a one being you have the trust of the rich young ruler, 
And a 10 being maybe you have the trust of the robin and the sparrow. You know, you really trust God. You know, where do you fall in your trust of God? And, you know, and I'm saying if we refuse to own something, we can never, we can never fix it, right? Say, hey, I got a trust issue with God. And number two, this lack of trust in God is not without consequences. It causes us to live our lives with our faces down. It, it, it causes us to miss out on that peace beyond all understanding. Right? Then what Paul said, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Right? And God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus and give you a peace. It would be like, how can you be at peace? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just am. A lack of trust will cause us to wander and live our lives like God's people in Numbers 13 in a dry, lifeless, desert wilderness as we wander around rather than living in the beauty of the promised land. It causes us to be surrounded by grief and to walk away sad. It causes us to miss the adventure of living for the glory of God and being a part of a story greater than our own. I mean, question, when Peter and the rich young ruler look back on their life, when Peter and the rich young ruler look back on their life, who had regret and who had a testimony? Number three, many of the things that we put our trust in, uh, what are you, what am I putting our trust in, are in reality what? Sinking sand. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on his spider web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it does not hold. Number four, God is worthy of our trust. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is a rock eternal. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is a rock eternal. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. And number five, our, our, our trust in God doesn't have to stay small and shallow. We can take it deeper. How can we do that? Uh, number one, by spending time with your father, by, by getting to know him, uh, by letting him speak truth into your life. Uh, let me tell you, I, I would, I'm messed up. I'll be the first to tell you that, but I'd be more messed up if I did not give God the opportunity to breathe his truth into my life. And that's the importance of being in the word, right? So God can breathe his truth into you to let you know that he is your light and salvation, right? And that you have nothing to fear when, when God is on your side. And number two, you can take it deeper, reminding yourself of all the times that God has already showed up for you in the past. Understand, we forget what we should remember, and we remember what we should forget. And I just challenge you this week, you know, maybe get a, a piece of paper and just write down all the times that God has showed up in the past and proven himself to you as trustworthy. Now, you think you might have a few things? Like, that? wow, you showed up here, and you showed up here, and you showed up here, and you showed up here. And maybe take that list and just share it with somebody. Yeah, hey, can I, can, I, can I brag on my guy for a minute? Can I tell you how, how he was there for me? Another way we can do it is by, by letting go and letting God, by taking risk, by stepping out, by, by doing what we know we should do even before we have all the answers. By going where God leads us when the only guarantee 
that we have of success is who he is. Number four, by hanging out with people who live lives of trust, right? Bottom line, if we want to swim in the deep end, we can't be hanging out with people who are in the kiddie pool, right? You know, and hanging on to the sides. And trust is a huge issue. It's one of the things we lack that holds us back, that prevents us from going into the valley. And finally, trust delivers us into a kingdom of incredible, powerful paradoxes. Right? See, trust, you tr- trust leads us to this place. It's a good place. A place where we have joy in the face of hardships. Where we have hope in the presence of sufferings. Where we have confidence where we have confidence in the, the midst of uncertainty, where we, we have a peace beyond understanding. Trust, trust takes us to that place where we find ourselves by losing ourselves, where we're set free by giving up control to God, to that place where we experience life by dying to ourselves, to that place where our weakness becomes strength and our greatness is found in being a servant. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Amen? Question, where where is God asking you to trust him this morning? Is God asking you to trust him in the middle of this raging storm (laughs) that you find yourself in this morning? Is God asking you to trust him in the way that you handle your finances? Is God asking you to trust him in your marriage, in your married life? Is God asking you to trust him in regards to a risk he's wanting you to take for him? What is God asking you to trust him? Just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And I got to tell you that as a church, God will be asking all of us to trust him when we roll out our three-year strategic plan, three weeks from the day. And listen, as we move forward to become a church that is literally driven, not, not, not by a budget, not by programs, not, not, not by opinions and agendas, but, uh, but driven by life change, driven by that, hey, man, we, we want to become a church that is all about sharing our faith growing in our faith, and demonstrating our faith into a watching world, we will be tested and we will be challenged. I mean, I have no idea all that will happen between now and October of 2017. But I know we'll be challenged and tested, and God will ask us to trust him. It's kind of interesting to me. You know, you know, today is a special day to me for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, it's Gentile's birthday. That's always cool, you know. You know, you know he cares for little children, doesn't he? I mean, Gentile was born in, an orphan in China. But God had a plan for him, right? And, and I got invited into that plan, and that just like rocks big time. And, uh, and it's also, you know, um, you guys were asked to trust God on the third Sunday in September 2010. And so was I, because on the third Sunday of 2010, I stood up here 
and began my first year of ministry at Maple Grove, you know, and, and, and today I stand up here, and they said it wouldn't last, right, you know, yeah. and I, I, today I, I begin my fifth year, you know, serving with you as we seek to do God, and you know what, I think God, you know, um, it's Gentile's birthday, awesome, you know, you know, it's cool to think that nine years ago, nine years ago, uh, see, this is something out, this hit me at, if there's a typo, forgive me, because this hit me at four o'clock this morning, and, and, uh, but I have a three-week uh, commitment I'm asking people to make at Maple Grove, and it's pretty simple. And uh, Bill and Glenda, would you just help me get these passed out? <laughs> well planned. If you're visiting with us, we're messed up, and uh, so are you, so you fit. Um, but here's some commitments I'm asking everybody to make, you know, so that, you know, so that our minds, our spirit, and our thoughts are, are united um, three weeks from the day. And uh, one of the commitments is to, is to read our faith comes from hearing, right? You may already be doing your own Bible program, and I, I get that, but if you could just for the next three weeks, I have some extra copies back there, you know, yeah, there, there's power in, in all of us reading the same stuff. I mean, I, I think it's more effective having us all hear the same message at the same time. Imagine if we gave everybody headphones and we said, here's 200 messages you can choose from. And we all heard different things. It, it probably lose some of the power that could happen in this room. So I just want to encourage you. There's copies back there of the read. Read the faith comes from hearing. I'm big on reading the Bible, you know, because if I can get you to read your Bible and hang out with Jesus, then my job's done. Right? My job is easy. Okay. Uh, there's an, and you're going to make one or more of these commitments. Stick these in your Bible. Stick them in your refrigerator. Okay. One or more of these. Right. In the next three weeks. Now you're going to. We're having a prayer time on October the fourth at six p.m. Encourage you to be there for that time of prayer. Okay, uh, another commitment. I'm going to attend church every week during the next three weeks leading up to October the 12th. Now, fast at some time during the next three weeks, right? A meal, a day, all right, um, etc. cetera. Um, to pray daily for his church at Maple Grove. I'll pray for God's will to be done at Maple Grove as it is in heaven. Uh, number two, uh, I'll pray for the Holy Spirit to move in his people in a powerful, obvious, and unifying way. Number three, I'll pray for the leadership of Maple Grove to be strong and courageous for him and for his glory. Number four, I pray for a movement of surrender to his purposes, trust in his provision, and excitement. Um, another word could be pumpification, right, about his promises to overtake and overwhelm us. Overwhelm us. And five, I pray for everyone in Maple Grove, including me, to die to ourselves and to make it all about him. And, and I, I really believe if we do this, right, we'll be in the right place, right? Because God has great things he wants to do in us and through us. And, and I'm excited about year five, right? You know, I mean, I know that stats are a lot less than three years, so we're, we're breaking those stats together, right? I, I don't plan on going anywhere until God takes me home. You know, that that'll be awesome too, right? That, sometimes I think about that, don't you? It's like, man, that's going to be so good, so good, man, so good and so sweet and forever. But uh, as long as we're breathing, he has us here for a reason. So I encourage you to make one or more of those commitments. And, and again, just ask God, you know, you know and, and I always refuse and I'll continue to live my delusion that you're messed up like I am and that you also struggle with trust. You know, and he just wants you to trust him. You know, and, and like the, those babies, right? I just love watching those babies and they're just chilling and they're enjoying themselves. And God, sometimes I know he wants to say to me, Steve, be still and know that I'm God. Steve, cease striving and just trust me. Steve, I got this. I got this. I am trustworthy. Just 
Trust me so you can enjoy life. And, and whatever area you're struggling, just ask for God to give you the ability to trust him. We're going to sing the song, um, you guys know, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And it was written, you know, um, by a lady who, um, you know, she had lost her husband. And, and uh, they were at the beach, as the story goes, and her husband heard the screams of someone in the ocean that was drowning. He went to try to save her, and in the process, the boy pulled him under, and she lost her husband, and uh, now had, was a single mom in a very difficult time, and, and she struggled for a long time, and, and there's one day when a, a care package of just what she needed showed up on her porch, and, and, and she was just reminded of God's provision, and that, that care package and God's provision led her to write these words that we all know so well. You know, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And as we sing, I just pray that the Spirit just moves you to whatever areas you need trust. That you'll just trust Him, and you just chill. You know, we'll just take it easy and just let our dad take care of the big stuff, right? Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you so much, and it's an honor and a privilege to be in your presence. And, and God, I pray that right now as we sing a song, we know this song. And God, that maybe we would see you and, and hear your words, you know, that you said to your guys when they were troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And God, help us to trust you. Help us to lean hard into you. And God, may this time of praise be a time of recommitment and and a recalibration to say, you know, I'm going to trust in God because he's trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.